The following podcast contains strong language and strong opinions. Listener discretion is advised. Kia ora! Welcome to episode one of Femme Fucking Tastic, a podcast about female representation in fantasy fiction literature. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping before I crack into things. Um, just, you know, a little disclaimer I am not affiliated with any authors or publishers or anything discussed here, and any opinions stated in this podcast are those of the individual and are in no way affiliated or endorsed or supported, whatever, by employers or any other companies whatsoever. It's just me talking shit. It's just my thoughts and opinions. There we go. Got that out of the way. Um, also, I'm working on getting the RSS feed for this accepted by iTunes. Just got a little stuff with the uh, the cover art. Uh, I just need to get that sorted out. And then it'll be up and ready to go in the iTunes and hopefully uh, Spotify and all that good stuff. So we're talking about, for the for this episode and the next three episodes after that, uh, Alana of Trebond, uh, the Song of the Lioness Quartet. It is a longtime favourite of mine. I think I first read these books when I was 10 or 11. So they've been a, a big influence on me. I've read them so many times, like countless times, and I never get sick of it. I always, always love it. It's it's just a really great series. Um, so a little bit of background on it is that it was first released in September 1983, and it was actually originally written as a single adult novel, and then later, like based on editorial advice, was rewritten into a four-part young adult fantasy series. And I... Oh, I just, I really wish I could read that original adult version because, like, it would probably be amazing. But sadly, that was never, as far as I'm aware, it was, it's never been published in any form or released in any way. So that's a little bit bummer, but, you know, what we've got is still pretty great. Um, the author, Tamara Pierce, oh, hello, ignore that. Uh, she She wrote Alana because she wasn't getting the characters that she wanted to read. Like the characters that she wanted to read about weren't out there. So she was like, well, I'll just write the characters that I want myself then. And I think that's becoming a lot more common now. Like we're getting a lot more protagonists who are LGBTQI, you know, like, you know, we're getting more diverse protagonists because for so long, it's just been like white dudes, straight white dudes. And that's been it. So yeah, she was sort of a, an early early adopter in that uh, like female protagonist scene, in the fantasy scene at least, anyway. So let's let's crack into it. We're talking about Alana. She she's she's in uh, Total, which is a you know made up universe. It's sort of a generic European medieval type society. So we start uh, with we start on Alana, and she has a twin brother, Tom. And they're, they're 10 years old, they're red hair, purple eyes, that's the general description, and their father is telling them that, I don't give a shit, you're going to do what I tell you, you're going to a convent, you're going to go be a knight. And neither of these kids are happy about their situation. Alana does not want to go to a convent and be a lady, and Tom doesn't want to go and be a knight. She wants to be a knight, Alana wants to be a knight, Tom wants to be a great sorcerer. So they go off in a bit of a half and they talk about it and then they decide to pull a parent trap, essentially. So Alana's like, fuck it, you know what? Let's just, you know, let's just do an old switcheroo. I'll cut my hair and pretend to be a boy. You go off to the to the cloisters and become a, you know, go to the go to the priests, go be an academic, you go learn to be a sorcerer, and I'll pretend to be a boy and go be a knight. And he's like, cool, let's do it. Uh, they are going to need a little bit of help because, of you know, they're 10. They're not going off on their own. Uh, so they go and they seek out Maud, who is the village healing woman. And she's supposed to be taking Alana to the convent. So she consults the gods, asking for guidance. Uh, Alana, in the process, has her first vision of this black city. And Maud goes, yeah, cool. I'm going to help. The gods are on board. They say that I should help you. So let's do this. So she cuts Alana's hair, 
talks to her about, you know, what are you going to do? Like she, she points out that, you know, on her current path, Alana's going to, she's going to kill a lot of people. That's just the, the likely outcome. She's going to be a knight. So she will fight battles and she will have to defend people. She's going to kill people and she needs to, which is so heavy to talk to a 10 year old about like, oh, have you thought about the fact that you're going to kill a bunch of people when you're an adult? No, surprise. Well, that's going to happen. So, you know, she says that she needs to find some way to atone for all these lives that she's going to take when she's off doing great deeds. And of course, Alana has not thought about this because she's a child. But Maud says, you know, you you have a gift for healing. You have more magic than almost anyone else I know. So you need to learn to use that. And Alana's like, mm. she hates her magic. She is afraid of it. And she avoids using it pretty much at any cost. Like she's so stubborn. She just, she hates using her magic. So anyway, they sort out their disguises. They Tom puts on a skirt and puts his hood up to get, so is that, you know, as they're leaving, Everyone thinks that he's Alana and she cuts her hair and puts on some pants and also puts her hood up and they set off with their guardians. They're riding for a little while and then they come to a literal fork in the road, like heavy symbolism. (laughs) Um, So Alana and Tom say their goodbyes to each other, go their separate ways. Alana goes with Coram to go off to the city and Tom goes with Maud to go to the cloisters. So they go off and we get a little bit of insight from Coram about Alana. He he wishes, not for the first time, that Alana had been born a boy because she's a fighter. She learns quickly. Tom hates all of that, like the fighting arts and hunting. He just, he hates all that shit. And he's like, oh, why couldn't Alana be a boy? Which is pretty much how Alana feels. She's like, why couldn't I be a boy? And they're riding along and then... Coram's like, oh, you know, let's, let's stop for a break. Alana's like, that's fine. Puts down her hood and Coram loses his shit. He's like, what the fuck? You're a little shit. I'm taking you home and I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And she's like, we're not going home. If you try and make me go home, I'm going to make you see things that aren't really there. Which is a little concerning. But he um, <coughs> he kind of stops and she she points out all these things that he already knows. She's like, you know, I'm I'm better at this stuff than Tom, and you know I'm better at this stuff. I could be a credit to you, and he wouldn't, so could you just consider it? And he's like, I will think about it, but I'm probably just going to take you home tomorrow. So they carry on, they stop at an inn for the night, and then the next day Coram's like, so I guess I'm calling you Alan from now on, and she's like, fuck yeah! So they go to the capital city. Alana's like, oh my god, this is all amazing. They have a brief encounter with a mysterious young man in the market, and he'll come back later, he's going to be important. But they carry on, they get to the palace, they get all settled in, Alana's told to go and get fitted for some uniforms, and she's like, oh shit, oh no, I'm, my, oh, my cover's blown already. She goes to the tailors, and they don't need her to take her clothes off, and she's like, oh thank goodness, okay, pass the first, pass the first test. So she, she, you know, she's getting settled in, and then her and Coram go, and they set up their rooms, they have a little, a little chat, and Coram kind of has this little moment where he's like, adjusting to using her new gender pronouns, and I think he only ever slips up like, once later, and... It's like so tiny that no one even picks it up. So it's not really a big deal. He adjusts well to the new Alana, Alan. So they're heading off to dinner and Alana doesn't make it far before we meet her first nemesis, Rollin of Melvin. He's a massive douche. They exchange pleasantries and then promptly get into a fight. So the prince turns up, he pulls rank, finds out what happens. And then since Alana has just like, she's tiny, like she's, she's so itty bitty, she's small. And because she just like immediately stood up to the bully with zero hesitation, everyone else is like, this guy's awesome. And just immediately want to be buds with Alana. So we meet several characters all at once. And I'm not going to bother going through them because they'll pop up over time anyway. So she has her first day, palace life, classes in the morning. Because her father is something of an academic, she's already reasonably educated. And she sort of proves herself through some of her classes. She gets a bunch of homework, including being told to take up harp lessons. And then we never hear about the harp lessons ever again. Like, it just it never comes up. Like, oh yeah, remember that time that you had harp lessons? No. What? What is the harp? Whatever. Uh, she quickly f- realizes that uh, free time is pretty much non-existent, like... 
she she doesn't have a life outside of class. Uh, in the afternoon, she meets Sir Miles of Olau, one of her teachers, and he's super cool and will become very important to her character development over time. But for now, we're carrying on with class. She gets to the like, late afternoon and it's time for her physical classes and this is what she's been looking forward to. Like, this is her jam. This is what she loves doing. This is what where she's, you know, she's expecting to do okay here. But she quickly realises, so like she's she's 10, she's learned a bit of this stuff at home, but she's probably only ever really practised against her twin, Tom, who hates this stuff. So she's never, probably never really been challenged. And she quickly finds out that she is the most raw beginner. Like she is, she's total novice. So she gets just thrashed with drills for hours and then she carries it. So that's like, I think it's like wrestling or star fighting or something. But anyway, she, she's a PT. And then she moves on to archery and she's a little bit better at that. But she still just gets like a shitload of drills. And she's so knackered at the end of the first day that she falls asleep doing her homework. And then the next day is even worse because she didn't get anything done. So she gets more homework. And then she's also shattered from the day before. So like all the physical stuff is so much worse because she's got the doms. And so she just like by the end of the day... She decides that she's, it's, it's day two, and she's like, you know what, fuck this, I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm going home. She goes back to her room, and she tells Coram, she's like, pack your shit, we're leaving. And he's like, excuse me? We're what now? And she's like, we're going home, I don't have to put up with this, it's unfair, it's bullshit. And he's like, well, yeah, like, what the fuck did you expect? I never told you this was going to be easy. You knew what you were getting into, like, can you just, like, maybe... Just take a deep breath. And eventually she calms down and she she agrees to give it a week. And then if things don't improve, then they're leaving. And he's like, okay, fine. Uh, Obviously things don't actually get any better, but she's so exhausted that she kind of just forgets. And then, yeah, she she settles settles into Palace Live. She's making some friends. uh, A couple of months later, she she doesn't even realize that her birthday's been and gone. So she's she's turned 11. Uh, She gets her first kind of like report card and is rewarded with a morning off to go into the city and she can take a friend to show her around but not Alex because he has to take an extra ethics lesson and that is foreshadowing for later. So she takes her friend Gary into the city and she runs into the mysterious young man from earlier in the market and he's like would you like to come have a drink? So they so Alana and Gary they go off with George and and he admits that he's been like subtly stalking Alana because she kind of stands out. She's got red hair, purple eyes, pretty unique. Uh, And he says that he has the gift, which is magic, and that he felt compelled to befriend Alana. And this just doesn't bother her at all, pretty much. Gary quickly surmises that George is the most wanted man in the city, king of the thieves, but he likes him anyway. And Alana doesn't really say much throughout the whole interaction but she decides that George is probably trustworthy anyway and that's yeah so he'll 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 be another big character and be quite influential to Alana as the story progresses as well so I hope you hadn't forgotten about Rollin because he has not forgotten about Alana he uh <coughs> he's, he's, he, he's just he's a bully and this is a pretty strong theme in this book is the bullying we're, we're gonna we're gonna tackle that one so he's kind of just been picking on Alana you know low level stuff one day he he's like clean up my shit and she's like no she just leaves it so he gets punished all her friends think it's hilarious he decided there and then you know obviously he's pissed so they go they're all out swimming one day and obviously alana cannot join because they all swim nude or in their loincloths and she's like damn it really i'm gonna miss swimming and and roland decides to have a bit of a dig and she's just like, you know what, fuck this. Let's just, let's, let's deal with this right now. And she kind of just attacks him. She's just like, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck your mother. Fuck everyone. Leave me the fuck alone. Just like completely loses her shit. And she, she says that if he doesn't leave her alone, she'll break his face. Uh, so she's, you know, she's made her point. She's stood up to him and also let everyone else know in the vicinity that she doesn't like swimming. Don't bother her about the swimming. So she has a she has a little discussion with Miles at some point about 
about dealing with bullies because everyone knows that she's getting picked on. Everyone can see it. And they talk about, yeah, dealing with bullies and the code of chivalry. And she says that she, she's like, you know, I, I, I have to keep fighting him. Like, if I don't, he's just going to walk all over me. And I think, I, you know, she, she, she's got a valid point. Like, I, I personally have never had to deal with a bully, particularly not, like, you know, in that kind of capacity. But, you know, I... Th- I I think there are many instances. Sometimes, you know, it's it's there's remedial processes that you can go through, and I think in some cases you just have to fucking stand up for yourself and not let them walk all over you. Like sometimes, you you just have to retaliate. I think, you know, depends on the situation. But for some, you know, this particular kind of bully, yeah, I think she's absolutely right, and she does just have to keep on fighting him. So things continue. They don't really improve for Alana and Rowan. Like she, they get into like a really big fight and he just like beats the absolute shit out of her. <laughs> it's her first like proper, proper fight. She goes back to her room, she's in a bad state and, and Coram says that he's proud of her for, you know, for standing up for herself, but he thinks it's about time that he helped her out a little bit. And I'm like, no shit, man. Like how long have you been standing on the sidelines and just letting this go on? She's like, this, this wouldn't have happened to a real boy. It just, oh, it just makes me so sad because as far as they're all concerned, she is a real boy. They don't know that she's a girl. They don't have a clue. She's just small. She's just a small boy. And she's like, she doesn't realize it. Of, of course this would have happened to a real boy. If, if she was a boy, she'd still be small. She'd still look like an easy target. And this guy would still pick on her because that's the type that he likes to pick on. Like, of course it would still happen if she was a real boy. Her friends all turn up uh, and she's like, now they all know what a weakling I am. And they're just like, what? no, like that dude's huge. And he's picking on someone like a third his size. Like what? So they all um, proceed to go and get quiet revenge on this bully. They beat the crap out of him. And, and it doesn't really change anything. Of course, you know, life goes on. Rowan keeps carrying out small assaults against Alana and it, it sort of it culminates one day in, in a really bad one and her arm gets broken <laughs> and she she has this like discussion with their um I guess their dean and he knows that she you know she's like you know I I, I fell over she's she ain't Alana ain't no snitch she says that she fell down and like he knows that she's lying about falling down and she knows that he knows that she's lying so why bother just you know, it's pride and it's dumb. But he says, "I wish you'd thrash him," and we are getting there. So it goes on, it carries on, carries on, carries on. Coram has started teaching her some wrestling stuff. So how, uh, teaching her wrestling and boxing. So like how to fight. You know, she she wants to prove that that she can do anything that a bigger and stronger male could do, including, you know, physically defending herself. Uh, she she quickly realizes that having a broken arm has turned out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise in terms of combat because it's made her she she broke her dominant arm and now she's having to learn to be ambidextrous which is cool and as soon as she um her arm's better she goes off to see George and she's like hey like I need more help like Coram's teaching me boxing and wrestling but it's not enough because this guy already knows all that stuff and he's bigger and stronger so I need you to help me fight, you know, just a little bit, maybe just fight a little bit dirty. Just some some, some tricks that, that this guy might not know. And he's like, cool. Not only is she having all of her, like, day-to-day lessons, all her extra homework at the end of the day, and she's having extra combat lessons with Coram, and she's having extra secret lessons with George. And I'm just like, this bitch is badass. <laughs> like, so the day finally comes uh, when she's going to confront Rowan. So she's all like, she's in the practice yards, everyone's doing their training, and she's all like, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on her sweater already. And then, so like, the teachers go, the teachers are distracted, one of the, somebody comes and distracts the teacher, and then she's just like, she starts just like, yo momming on Rowland. She's like, hey, dude, you're the fucking worst. You have no honour, blah, 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 blah. And it's on. And she Beats down on Rowan. He gets his ass handed to him. And, she, you know, threats are exchanged. She's like, touch me again and I'll fucking kill you. You'll pay for this, you little shit. Whatever. So, you know, 
everything's fine and dandy. She, you know, she got, she didn't come out unscathed, but she's, you know, she, she won. She was the very clear winner. Later on, she finds out that he's left court. He's, he's gone. He's gone home. And she has her first kind of like little like personal crisis. She hates herself. She feels like absolute shit. She's, she's questioning herself. She's like, how am I any better than him? I, how am I any better than a bully? How am I better than him? I, I used tricks and, you know, like I, I still behaved in a manner that was, you know, not, I still, you know, reacted violently. I still did, how is that different from what he was doing? And how does that bode for my future as a knight? And how am I supposed to know the difference between like when I'm, you know, if someone's a bully and if they're just, you know, just standing up for someone. She has this whole, like, internal, like, freak out. She's, you know, she's she's feeling a little bit, a little bit of imposter syndrome, I think. Which, you know, she kind of is a little bit of an imposter, but, you know, she's still just as good as, as good as anyone else. She's just proved herself against someone who's much bigger, much stronger, who's been doing this for a lot longer than she is. But she, this is been, it says she, she doubted she would ever believe herself to be as good as the stupidest, clumsiest male. And, like, if that's not being a woman in a patriarchal society, then I don't know what the fuck is. Like, that is, I feel like that is so relatable to so many women. And you can get mad about me saying that. I don't care. You can die mad about it. That's (laughs) fucking patriarchy, man. Fucking patriarchy. Ooh, thirsty. So she comes off pretty lightly out of that, like, in terms of punishment. She gets kind of a, pretty much just a slap on the wrist, some minor punishment and a very impressive lecture. So her friends start, you know, they're they're a little bit older than her. She mostly hangs out with older kids, so they start becoming squires. And she, because so a lot of her friends are now away, they've got night masters, so they're off traveling a lot. And she becomes closer friends with Jonathan, who's the prince. And uh, in this time, there is a there's a fever fever epidemic comes to the city. It's pretty bad. People start dying, and she starts thinking about Maud's warning about using. Her gift. She's like, I have to, you know, should I should I say that I have this ability to help people? I'm a healer, but she's terrified of losing control. She has this sort of dilemma about like kind of about like like kind of the same dilemma she had with the am I a bully or you know, am I just defending my honor or it's the same with her magic. She's like, you know, it's 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 very powerful and how do I know if I'm doing good with it or if I'm it, it can be used for good or evil. How do I know? Which, whether it's even right to use it at all, even if I think I'm doing good. So she's, you know, she's having a little bit more of a, a bit of a dilemma about her magic. Uh, and then one of her friends gets sick and dies. She has some survivor's guilt over that. It just makes her whole dilemma worse. But she's sort of, I think she's like coming closer to a decision. Uh, and then Jonathan gets sick. And it's he's like the last one to get sick. Like everyone else is sort of, slowly started getting on the mend and then all of a sudden Jonathan gets sick and it's so bad and the healers are like if it's this bad this early he's probably gonna die she goes and she she tells uh she talks to Smiles actually she consults him and has this whole dilemma discussion with him and he's like I can't tell you what to do there is I, I can't give you the answer you need to you need to figure this out for yourself pretty much but he guides her so she she decides, yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna help. She goes to the chief healer and and this guy Baird, he tells her he tells her the risk of, you know, helping out. He tells her that the sickness is most likely magical, that it has drained all of the other healers, like there's there's no one left. <laughs> They're kinda like musing over like who could have done this and like whether it's traceable, because I think Miles is like, Oh, you know, so so you think it's magical? Is there any way of knowing like who could have done this? And he's like, oh, Duke Roger could probably track where it came from, but he's overseas. More foreshadowing. So Baird kind of like tests Alana's magic and he's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think you might actually have a shot at this. You're pretty powerful. And she's like, okay, cool. So she says that they're going to try some natural remedies first. They're going to try to sweat it out. She, um, conveniently, the king and queen are just like, elsewhere they're occupied i think the queen's still kind of sick and the king's i don't know he's just off doing king stuff but she she has this other bit which she's like like everyone around her like she's kind of in charge right now she's in charge of jonathan's healthcare. everyone else is 
occupied and she's just a kid and she goes is it she, she wonders was it possible adults weren't as assured and as powerful as she had always believed and like i think all adults <laughs> like you have this moment where you're like oh wait i you're like i need a grown-up for this and then you're like wait i'm a grown-up what no so yeah adults are not as assured and as powerful as as she had always believed we are just muddling by as best we can well a lot of us are anyway (laughs) the king and queen eventually turn up and and the king's like i'm i'm sorry that i've neglected your magical education i you know i hoped that if i ignored my own magic it would go away and blah 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 so i'm gonna i'm gonna call roger who's his brother He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him back to the to Tortal, and I'm gonna have him teach you boys when this is all when this is all over. So like, Jonathan gets even worse, and Miles is like, you need to you need to start using your magic because like he's he's gonna die. He is dying right now, and you need to pull out all the stops. And she's like, okay, fine. So she she calls on the great mother goddess, and she has another vision of the black city from like same as from way back at the start. And the the goddess tells Alana to call Jonathan back. So she kind of like goes and she kind of like sinks into this like abyss. And she goes to Jonathan and and she she starts calling him back. And Miles is still there. He's he's watching all this happen. But he when when Alana call when, when Alan calls out to Jonathan and says come back, it's time to come back now. He doesn't hear a young boy's voice. He hears a woman's voice like very clearly a woman's voice and he's kind of just like okay so she's in this abyss and she she meets death while she's there and she's like mm, no i'm gonna take my friend home he can't have him yet and death's just like mm, okay so she brings him back and and jonathan's like yeah I'm, I'm coming home now let's let's get out of here and miles is still watching and he hears a man's voice come from jonathan so he's like what kind of just like he just sort of tucks that away for for future pondering. So so Jonathan comes back and he, he recovers and she she avoids talking about it. She kind of just brushes it off anytime someone tries to talk about it. She's like, oh, it was just, you know, it was all Miles. You know, he, he guided me. I just provided the the raw power. And, and everyone moves on. Everyone sort of forgets about the this <laughs> massive epidemic that killed a bunch of people. And eventually Spring arrives along with boobies. She's like, she, she runs past her mirror one day and she sees that, like, she just sees, like, a little bit of bounce and she's like, no! Because up to, like, up till this point, she's just, she's been fine. I mean, she's 10, 11, 10 and 11 year old girls and boys have pretty much the same bodies. It's like, you can't tell the difference. She's, she has this total meltdown. She hates it. She hates that this is who she is. And, and Coram points out that, you know, she can still be a warrior and a woman, but you know, she's, she's only going to be happy when she makes peace with herself and who she is. She's just like, nope, I fucking hate it, but let's just carry on. Let's just deal with this. Just, just, no, don't talk about it. Just don't talk about it. So she starts binding her chest. Uh, she uses, she starts with bandages initially. And then, uh, later on she gets like a special corset made. I don't know how she explained this to the tailors that made the special corset for her or if she ordered it through someone else, but whatever she So she, she learns to live with the binding and like being extra careful. So she like never unbuttons her shirt too far. Like even when it's really hot, um, she just, yeah, she just needs to be extra, extra careful about, you know, all her stuff. Uh, she, uh, she learns to like deal with her temper. She's got quite a short temper and that becomes a common like problem for her throughout the story. Um, and her friend tells her that, you know, cause she, cause you know, cause she doesn't go swimming. There's a, she's just a little bit different from everyone else. She doesn't necessarily partake in all the same activities. She doesn't always like being around people. And, and one of her friends, um, Raul, he's like, you know, you can stop trying to pretend that you're like everyone else. You can stop trying to be like everyone else. You know, like we we like you for who you are. And she's like, okay, well, that's crazy. You're crazy. Whatever. But it's kind of sweet. Like she just, she, she, <laughs> she doesn't, she can't fathom that people would like her for who she is. And it's like, oh, girl, you're so cool. So Roger, that, uh, that really powerful wizard guy, he, he turns up. And Alana just like immediately has this 
bad feeling about him, just gut feeling not good. And she she notes that her friend's voices are starting to crack and that she's going to have to start faking it soon. And I have no idea how you would even do that. Like, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could fake uh, having my voice cracking. And then she's going to have to have like a boy, a man voice for like years. She's only like 11 or 12. She's like 12 years old. And she's going to have to start pretending to have a man voice until she's 18. Like 18 is when she go when she's, you know, s- scheduled to undergo the ordeal of knighthood. So she has spent six years pretending to have a man voice. And I'm just like, you know what? That would, I, no, nah, I don't think I could do that. That's too much admin. So hard pass. She gets a horse. It's, I mean, she has the horse for ages and it's like her sidekick, but eh, it's not really that important to the story. Oh, it's when Jonathan meets George. They, they make friends. That's nice. So it's finally time for her to learn fencing. So she's been, they haven't been allowed to use swords. They haven't been allowed to learn fencing yet. They've been learning staff fighting, but now it's time to graduate onto sword fighting and oh, fencing. And she sucks. She's like, she's just, she, she just does. She's not that great. They have like a first sort of practice round, like freestyle fight. And she just completely botches it. But you know, this is, this is Alana. And so what does she do when she's, when something looks like it's getting the better of her? She doubles down and, you know, she reflects on what it took to beat Rowan. And, and by this stage, she's sort of made her peace with it. And she realizes that it, it was worth it. Like all that work, was worth worth it in the end. So she starts training, like putting in more extra training, um, but using a sword that's like way too big and too heavy for her. This is just what she does. If she can't do, if she seems like she can't do something, she's like, fuck it. Let's just do it more. And that's, and that's what she does. So yeah, she's like 12, she's about 12 or 13 now. And she wakes up one morning. She's just getting ready to go. She's, you know, she's waking up early to go and do her, her extra sword practice. And she looks down and there is blood everywhere. She's just, she's covered in blood. Her sheets are covered in blood. And she's like, what the fuck is this? Like she, she has no idea. She has no idea that this is a thing. That, that periods are a thing. This is her first period. And she does not know what that is. Like, I, I think <laughs> I think most women have probably had one of those like mornings or one of those nights where you've woken up and you're just like, hang on, something's not right. And you like throw back the sheets and you're just hemorrhaging out your vagina. Like it's, it's, it's happened to, I think it's probably happened to all of us. Right. Right. Like, I mean, like my, my first period was not like that. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you about my first period. It was, I, <laughs> it was not like a shock. I, I knew what was what was going to happen. I knew that it was going to come one day. And so as soon as it started, I, I knew exactly what it was. I knew what to do. I knew how to deal with it. But I was like heartbroken. I was so sad. I was like, I was just like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> like we had had this. So my mum gave the puberty talk at my primary school, my primary school of like max 60 students rural church run school my mum came and gave us the puberty talk and we watched this video like the the girls and boys were separated for their separate talks and we we watched this video and all the girls in the video were like super excited and super jazzed to to one day get their period like one girl was like I can't wait to get my period because that means that I'll be a woman like my mum and it'll mean that one day I can have babies. And 10-year-old me was just like, mm, hard pass. No, thank you. Like, like I just was not, I was, no, I was just all the nope. Nope, nope. Didn't want it. And like, I still fucking hate it. Nobody likes their period. Like, it's just... It sucks. It sucks. So back to back to Alana and her period problems. Um, she fucking, she's like, I, I can't, she, because she doesn't know what's going on. She's like, I need to see a healer, like an adult healer, because I don't know what this is. So she sneaks out of the palace. She goes down to the city and sneaks into George's room 
wakes him up and and she tells him everything. She's like, I'm I'm female. I, I that's that's how things are. And he's like, I'm sorry, you what? You you're a what now? You've seen me naked, so just let's just get out of here. So he he takes her to a healing woman who is his mother, and and she explains everything to explains everything to Alana, and she's like, okay, so this is what's going on. This is what's happening. You need to get used to it. She's like, you are female, and you need to become accustomed to that. And she's already like dealing with like binding her chest, and she's just like, this is all way too much. It's too much. I can't deal with it. So she she has some like chamomile tea. She has a bit of a chat with 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 George, and she's like, you know, this is just this is all so much, and I, I don't know how to deal with this. And he's like, it's cool. I'm still your friend. Like, I, you know, I'm still here for you if you ever need to talk and I'm going to call you by your actual name when we're alone because, like, you've, you know, I think you need to not forget who you actually are and learn to be a bit more comfortable. And she's just like, whatever. Uh, she also she also gets birth control at the same time, actually. She, uh, George's mum is like, oh, you know, so you're going to keep getting your period until you're too old to have children or if you get pregnant. And she's just like, fuck, I don't ever want kids. Like, that's just, that sounds like a huge hindrance to my life goals so but she also doesn't want want, want it she doesn't want a man either she's like i don't have time for men i don't want to lay with a man i don't want fucking babies give me the give me the necklace so she gives her this charm to to ward off pregnancy and she has her 13th birthday so she's you know she's she's growing up She's, she's growing up a little bit she becomes closer to miles over time they sort of become friends like he sort of takes on this like mentor sort of father figure type role. Uh, and he eventually invites her to, to come and visit his estates. He's cause he's got some cool ruins and he's like, I think you'd really like to see them. Do you want to come along? And she's like, fuck yeah, that sounds awesome. So the next day they go to Miles's barony and the day after that, they set out for the ruins. And like, <laughs> Miles is like, I'm writing a paper about the ruins. I doubt many people will read it, but the work gives me satisfaction. And I was like, how many writers can relate to that? Like, how many academics can relate to that? Because I certainly feel like just with this podcast, I can relate to that. I'm like, no, there's like five people are going to listen to this, but fuck it, I'm enjoying doing it anyway. So like, it just gave me a really good giggle. It's like, same bro, same. Um, and and he, he also says that he was uh, he was compelled once again, like George was compelled, Miles compelled uh, to bring Alana there. Um, he says that he's been having dreams about it, and you know, as soon as he said "Let's go to my ruins," he stopped having the dreams. So so you know, we're, we're getting all these like hints that Alana is somehow touched or at least being watched by some kind of deity, by the gods. She's had some contact already, some indirect contact, and. And this is just another kind of sign that that's, that's a thing in her life. Uh, so they explore the ruins, they chat, she finds like a door in the floor and Miles is like, oh, I've never been able to open that. And she just kind of holds it open. <laughs> it just made me think of like, uh, sort of like a, like a parallel to like Arthur and Excalibur and pulling it out of the rock, like just had to be the right person, you know? So it opens this door in the in the floor and it opens. She goes into this tunnel and there's kind of like weird vibes down there. It's super dark. She's like, "Oh, what's this thing on the floor?" And it's it's a sword. And then Miles is like, "Come back! There's a storm and it's definitely not natural." And she's like, "Oh, okay." And then all of a sudden, like, the darkness in the tunnel attacks her, and it's just this like crazy thing. And the sword rescues her somehow. And so she like runs out of the tunnel, gets outside. There's this mess, like Miles said, there's a massive storm about to break. And as soon as she's out of the tunnel, the door like closes behind her. So they like mission it back to the castle and they're, they're talking later. And Miles is like, read the signs, girl, that sword belongs to you. Like keep it. So she names it lightning and it's her first true sword. She gets back to the castle and like, you know, everyone's interested in it because it's it's pretty cool. And it makes Roger freak out. And then she realizes that she hates him. Like she doesn't just dislike it. She's got no reason either. She's just like, I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I hate this guy. Like hate him. Uh, she gets, a, and she gets a letter from like around this time. She gets a letter from 
Tom, who she's been able to get a letter from through George because all of their mail goes through like their their dean, whatever. Um, And so she's like, you know, I can't really be on. I can't properly talk to Tom, you know, if my mail is being read. And so eventually they, they get this secure line of communication and Tom tells her that Roger's been asking questions about Tom around the, around the cloister. Uh, he's in the city of the gods now, which is like all the temples and stuff. And that he's got a bit of a reputation for slowing down promising majors, like even like halting their careers entirely. So now she's like extra, extra on, on guard around him. And she, you know, keep, she just, carries on with her life, she keeps working hard, she's practicing the sword heaps, uh, practicing her fencing, and, and now she's working on her magic as well, because she's like, actually, I need to, she's like, you know, I may be afraid of this, but I need to be able to defend myself and and others, and, and, and I need to use all the tools that are available to me. So she's had this, like, total turnaround, pretty much, on on her magic. She's accepted now that that's, that's a part of who she is, and she needs to get comfortable with it. The older squires, um, uh, you know, they're going to be going through their ordeal of knighthood soon, so they're keeping an eye out for potential squires of their own. Uh, and Alana insists that she's she's like, I'm too small and I'm too weak and I'm too shit at fencing to be considered as anyone's squire. So, like, I'm not even going to try competing. And all her classmates are like, nah, 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 you, like, you're, you're Jonathan's friend, like, he'll pick you. And she's like, I suck. <laughs> she's still pretty down on herself. She was like, you know, obviously she wants to be someone's squire, but she's just, you know, she's just a little hard on herself. Uh, and then, so they're in class one day, it's, it's their fencing class and they've got some guests. So she's called on to, to do a little demo for the guests and it's her first freestyle bout since the, since the first time and she failed miserably and she's just like, oh shit. Like she's been doing all these drills and exercising heaps and she's like, that's not like, She's like, it's not real, you know, it doesn't prepare you for, for a real fight. But anyway, so she, so she has this freestyle bout and she, she totally nails it. Like, it turns out that actually all of her hours and hours and hours of drills and her body just autopilots now. So she's like, oh, I didn't even like, she, didn't, she doesn't think about it. She just pretty lets her body take over and that's basically it. And everyone's ridiculously impressed because she used to suck so bad. And even her shitty teacher, who's been really mean to her, doesn't take credit for her, doesn't, doesn't take credit. He's just like, huh, I guess he was, uh, I guess he was doing work on his own. I can't take credit for that. He's done that all by himself, which is pretty cool because that teacher is like a total dick. And it's, yeah, it's like definitely like a win moment. She's like, oh my God, like my hard work is paying off. Like she's, She's seeing some some return on her efforts, and there's a so there's a, there's a trip coming up for for all the squires, and Jonathan asks if she can be in, if Alan can be included, because no one really thinks of Alan as a page anyway, just a very small squire. The their their dean is like, yeah, that's fine as long as you know as long as none of the other boys are jealous or anything, and so that's cool. It's so like, yeah, sweet, Alana's going on this trip with all the squires, um, and. To, they're going to the desert. Um, they're going to visit the Bajir tribes people. And the Bajir are kind of based on like uh, like Bedouin tribes people. They're getting ready to go. It's the night before they leave. And Roger's like, he's giving them this really weird warning about the Black City, which we've heard about twice now. And it's kind of, it's like, it's this weirdly racist talk. He's like, oh, you know, the Bajir just like these, you know, they're just dumb tribes people. They're just desert man like what the f- they've got all these like superstitions about the black city they're like oh, it's cursed whatever blah, blah, blah. but what the fuck and he kind of just like brushes them off and it's like what the fuck do they know but then it's like but actually it's really evil so don't go anywhere near it it's kind of just like what the fuck <laughs> like what is your what okay fine whatever so they set out for the desert and Persepolis, which, if it sounds familiar, is because it sounds like Persepolis, which was a real city. Um, but they, so they go on that to learn about the Bajir and desert craft. And eventually they arrive in Persepolis. And Alana can't, can't help but notice that the Bajir are staring at her. And she meets the governor of the castle. And we'll meet him again later as well. He's, he's super cool. They chat. 
Uh, Alana decides that she likes him and he offers to show her and her friends something if they're interested. So he takes them to this room that's designed specifically for watching over the black city. And they learn the story about the city and the evil nameless ones that live there and how still from time to time will use their power to attempt to draw young people to them from Persopolis. So like a young person will wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go to the black city, it's the black city. They're just like consumed and they they desperately need to go. Um, he also tells them about another of their many legends that says that one day two gods, the night one and the burning brightly one, will ride out, do battle with and defeat the immortals that live in the black city. So they all they all head off to bed after they've heard some stories and Alana wakes up suddenly in the night. She just has this like urgent feeling. So she gets dressed and she steps out of her room into the hallway just in time to catch Jonathan. And he just says, are you coming with me? And she's like, yeah. So they head off. Uh, they ride out to the Black City and it's super creepy. And Alana realizes that, oh, wait, this is this is the place that I've been having visions of. Like I've... I've had two visions of this place and this is, you know, this, this is it. And, and Jonathan is like, yeah, this place is death's evil. Can't really figure out why, but it's death's evil. But he's also not going to leave. And, and this, I feel like it's just like a really small interaction, but it's the first kind of sign that Jonathan's actually like a bit of a fucking prat. Like, I, I don't like him at all. He's Alana's best friend and I'm like, mm, no, I don't, mm, no. And it's probably just Prince. Like, it's just, you know, a bit of a complex that comes with being a prince, probably. And they go into this temple or some building and these immortals appear. There's ten of them. And there's some, like, back and forth with them. And they're, they're called the Yasandia. And one of them reveals Alana's secret. She makes all of Alana's clothes disappear. And considering she's, like, almost 14 now, there is no mistaking that, yeah, she's a girl. She is becoming a woman. And Jonathan's like, what the but also appreciates that this is not the time to be to be freaking out. So he just he gives her his tunic and she briefly tells him who she really is. But, you know, suddenly it's all on and they have to work together to defend themselves against the Yasendia. So they're doing some magic and they dispatch of eight of them pretty quickly and then are left with the two oldest, strongest ones. Um, and Alana kind of like, she takes her and Jonathan into the sort of like magical abyss where she went when she had to heal Jonathan they hear the goddess again, and the goddess tells her to trust the sword. So one of the so there's the two you stand there that are left is a man and a woman, and the man one he conjures the sword as well. So they you know it's 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 down to a sword fight, <laughs> and and it quickly becomes clear to Alana that that while this dude's powerful, he is not a swordsman, and you know she's it turns out very recently that she's actually not bad. So, so the battle is kind of a combination of sword and magical will, and Alana attacks with the sword, Jonathan attacks with magic, and the Sandia are defeated! Woo! They, they leave the city, uh, they go find an oasis nearby to rest before they return back to, back to Persopolis, and Alana explains everything to Jonathan. And she's, she's <laughs> and, this is, and it's really nice because, you know, after all this, all this doubt that she's gone through and stuff, she, she says, you can't say that I haven't proved myself. It's like, yeah, girl, fucking, yeah, believe in you, believe in yourself. And he says, well, of course you have. You've proved yourself several times and you do better than most of us. And she says, I had to. And I'm like, oh, that's so true. <laughs> like, oh, again, like, you know, in a, in a patriarchal society where, you know, like you, think, you think about like the wage gap women are constantly having to prove themselves not only as good as men, but better to get the same, just to get equal recognition. And often they don't eat, they still don't even get equal recognition. And it's just, Oh, it's just, it's a very real, like, I'm like, Oh, so it's so real, Alana. It's so real. <laughs> and she, she asks Jonathan what he's going to do. And he says, Nothing. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep your secret. But, you know, he starts connecting some dots and he's like, oh, my God, like, when Roland beat you up and you were just like a little boy, I mean, you were a little girl. I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> like, he's having, like, a small crisis. They talk about, they, they talk about Roger and she's like, you know, don't you think it's weird that 
the like he pretty much dared you to come here and he's like yeah no I know he was I think he thought that I could defeat the power here and she was like oh I think he was trying to kill you and he's like oh no Roger's my cousin he's like my best friend don't say that about him and you know sort of just like an agree to disagree type (laughs) type thing is where that's left and then he he asks her about squires because you know obviously he's going to be a knight suit and he's going to choose a squire and Alana kind of reflects on the last four years of her life in, in, well, three. And she says that actually he should pick her to be his squire. And he agrees. He says, I'd actually already decided. And, you know, but finding out that you were a girl hasn't actually changed anything. And that is pretty much where where that book wraps up. So Alana, the first adventure. She's, she's, we've come through all her years as a page. She's about to become a squire. And uh, this has gone on for quite a while. Um, I've tried not to. I've tried not to ramble too much. I think I, I think I still rambled too much. <laughs> but I think the next three will probably be a bit shorter. I just I felt like there was a a, a fair bit of groundwork with with this first book. Um, but now we've you know we've we've met the main players. We've met the main players, and we've I think we've sort of got to know Alana pretty well. She's already grown a lot as a person. So the next one is In the Hand of the Goddess. And hopefully that'll be, let's call it two weeks. Let's say it'll be up in two weeks. Um, so yeah, that's, that's episode one. Oh, I didn't even have to drink that much of my wine. It was actually okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I mean, I, I would say please rate me on iTunes, but I'm not on iTunes yet, so that's, that's coming. Um, but you can you can you can Twitter me, and uh, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, that is at fem underscore podcast. Got it right this time. F e m m e underscore podcast. You can email me at uh, you know what I can't remember what the email address is. I've got it written down somewhere. Who remembers email addresses anyway? Oh, there we go. The email address is. FemFN podcast at gmail.com. So Fem F E M M E F N podcast at gmail.com. It's all lowercase, all one word. You can email me there. Uh, there's a Patreon. I'm still working out what the tiers are going to be. So once that's sorted, I will give you all the Patreon if you would like to support me. And our cover art. Cover art is by Adam Price. He's amazing. You can check him out uh, on Instagram. Uh, his handle is this is your neighbor. Uh, this is your, your is you are. Neighbor is spelt the correct way, but I will link that on the Twitter. So at this is your neighbor on Instagram is the cover art and he's amazing and awesome and fabulous and incredible and you should definitely go and support him because he's really cool. Uh, I think that is... Everything. I think that's. I don't think there was any other admin to handle. So I'll. Uh, I'll see you all next time. Thank you so much for joining. Matewa.